The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen together for God's word as it echoes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, He departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the course of almost 60 years, the science fiction franchise Star Trek has repeatedly trampled the rules of English grammar to boldly go where no one has gone before. Throughout nine nine different televised series and six feature films, Federation starships have explored strange new worlds and encountered all sorts of mystifying beings, friends and foes, allies, and enemies. Down through the decades, the most dreaded enemies dreamed up by Star Trek writers, in my opinion, 
were not the ferocious Klingons or the devious Romulans, but the cybernetic Borg. The Borg are beings who have been altered by technology. Computer chips implanted in their heads erase every memory of who they once were. These implants unite the Borg around a singular purpose. They exist to turn all other creatures in the galaxy into Borg, into drones that serve the collective. In pursuit of this objective, the Borg absorb one species after another in the galaxy, and every time they declare in relentless monotone voices, you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. The Borg were terrifying and riveting. In part, I suspect, because they tap into a common human fear. We do not want to be assimilated. We want to be free to think and act, to reason and plan, to love and to participate in communities of purpose and meaning. We do not want to live under a controlling force that will use us for its own nefarious ends. Now this, this is easier said than done. Our compromands know this all too well. Walk down any school hallway, scan any social media feed, and it's pretty darn clear the world wants to tell you who you are, how you should behave, what you should buy, what you should wear, who you should like, and who you should despise. In his philosophical opus, Being and Time, philosopher Martin Heidegger describes the, the subtle ways in which we are shaped by these influences, these influencers. We take pleasure, writes Heidegger, and enjoy ourselves as they take pleasure. We read and see and judge about literature and art as, as they see and judge. We find shocking what they find shocking. Who are you? You are someone, says Heidegger, the world wants to mold. An omnipresent they wants to sand down your idiosyncrasies. They want to tame your most important commitments. They want you to be like them. They want to assimilate you. Now, I'll admit that all sounds a bit paranoid, but as comedian Buck Henry used to say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> what, after all, is power? What is the power of social media, the power of political movements, the power of a good marketing campaign, but the ability to motivate people to act, to buy, to vote, to think in a certain way. 
This morning we listened as Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Out there in the wilderness, the good book tells us, Jesus fasted for 40 days. And at the end of it, Christ is utterly famished. And and this, of course, is when the devil shows up. (laughs) The tempter takes one look at the hungry man and goes to work. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus responds, no, I'm going to cling to God's word. It's it's all the food I need right now. It is enough. The devil's approach here seems obvious, right? I mean, waft the scent of freshly baked bread under the nose of someone who hasn't eaten in weeks, and his stomach will growl. He will be tempted to to break his fast. But is, is that the only thing tempting Jesus? In the Bible, the story of Jesus fasting in the wilderness comes right on the heels of the story in which Jesus was baptized. Right after the heavens open up and God declares, this is my beloved son. And these two stories for the Gospel of Luke are are linked. How are they linked? Well, basically, the devil tempts Jesus to doubt what happened down by the Jordan River to doubt his baptismal identity. He whispers in Christ's ear, you are loved by God? Really? (laughs) You? Someday, some are saying that after all those pyrotechnics down by the river, that, that you're the son of God. But I've got to say, I'm not convinced. When I look at you, I see a starving sap whose prospects look downright pathetic. Trust me, you don't have that Messiah pizzazz. People aren't going to listen to you. They're going to take one look at you and reach for a stone to throw. You've got failure written all over those dry brown eyes. And here, the prince of darkness leans in. He goes for the kill. If you're the son of God, and buddy, that's a pretty big if, why not prove it? If you're the son of God, why not go for it? Why don't you wave your hand and create a feast? Why don't you jump off a a cliff and startle everyone by floating gently to earth? I'll tell you why you don't do these things. You're a nothing. You're a starving, dirty, delirious man. Want to improve your prospects? Want to be something? Look, I'll show you how to do it. You need to set your sights on the stuff that matters. Wealth, power, dominion. It can all be yours, says Satan, licking his lips, closing the sail. You know you want it. Worship me. Be assimilated. Take pleasure as they take pleasure. Be afraid when they're afraid. Like what they like. It's all so simple. So very tempting.
Want to live the good life, the devil asks? Well, yes, Jesus responds, but as per usual, Satan, you've got everything upside down. <laughs> Out here in the desert, the contours of, of a good life have become surprisingly clear. I've got this baptism. I've been embraced by God's love. I have a calling to care for God's people. These are the cornerstones I need for pursuing the good life. What more could there be? Have you heard about this BBC television program entitled Life Script Bear? The concept for the show is both simple and given the state of reality television sensationalist. A moving crew comes to a couple's apartment and puts everything, every single thing they own in a storage bin outside. The couple is left naked in an utterly empty home. From that point on, once every day, the people are allowed to go out to the storage bin and retrieve one item. <laughs> Television critic Patrick Frayne writes that the program aims to address important questions. Questions like, do our possessions define us? Answer, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and questions like, what do naked people look like? Answer, cold. <laughs> I actually think there's a point to all this seriousness. The experience of being stripped bare is embarrassing and frightening, but it's also liberating and instructive. Have you ever sat alone in an exam room waiting for a doctor? Your clothes hang on a hook and you've tried to wrap yourself in one of those flimsy gowns that exposes way more of you than makes any sort of sense. In such moments, we're embarrassed, we're scared, we're also uncommonly focused. Questions float up before our minds that most days never make it to the surface. Am, am I okay? D does anyone care? What am I doing in this world? Who am I, really? When we stop, even for a few nervous seconds, paying attention to all that would assimilate us when we, when we enter the desert, any desert, our questions get more urgent, more honest, our focus improves, we remember who we are and to whom we belong. Start in the desert, says Lent. Get yourself to a desolate place, says Lent, and there in the quiet, let unhealthy concerns, societal pressure, and the whispers of the devil fall to the dusty ground. In, in writing a poem for Lent, a poem entitled Ash Wednesday, the great T.S. Eliot 
authored something that sounds a lot more like a prayer than a poem. And the first stanza of Eliot's poem concludes with the words, teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to care and not to care. Eliot, I think, gets it right. This is the mantra of Lent, the wisdom of the desert. Teach us to, to abandon foolish conceits. Teach us to turn away from all that would assimilate us. Teach us to follow the way of Jesus. This is Lent. It's an invitation to, to find solitude, a, a quiet place, and there to start repeating, teach me to care and not to care. Do this, says Lent, and you'll hear it. You can hear it, says poet Mary Oliver, when you slow yourself down, when you take the time to ask, who made the world? You can hear it in the tranquility of the morning when the devil's whispers have been vanquished by the rising sun. You, you can even hear it in the sterile cold of an exam room. You can hear it for sure in the desert, in places where sorry arguments crafted to assimilate us fade away and the sacred contours of life become simple and clear. You can hear it every time we approach this baptismal font, whenever a splash of water hits that bowl, whenever a brave soul kneels here for a humble blessing, you can hear echoing on the wind a voice floating over the water. You are my beloved. Wherever you go, compromise. Whatever you do with your wild, precious lives, seek this voice. Let no one tempt you to forget its refrain. You are deeply, deeply loved. In these perilous times, my friends, face the world with Christ's peace in your hearts. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.